This is Religion and Theology, a podcast from the Centre for Theology and Religious Studies. Today's episode is a presentation by Mika Vehekangas, Professor of Global Christianity at CTR, with the title African Christian Identity is Multi-Religious by Default. And this presentation took place at the Multi-Religious Identities Conference, held in memory of the late Professor Osul Lande in March of 2022 at CTR. that I will be partly hunting in the same jungle as uh, Steve did, uh, as there are surprisingly many dimensions that are similar between African Christianity or many forms of African Christianity and Amazonian Christianity. So about, yeah, so actually my title is African Christian Identity is Multi-Religious by Default is a uh, thesis, and now I'm going to argue for that thesis. Well, basically, traditionally, Western uh, Christianity, Western missionaries have been pursuing pure Christianity in Africa. When I was doing field work in a remote village of Samunge, in the, like, north of Tanzania, like, long way from any roads. Now, you will have to bear with me. I'm, I belong to the last generation of mission uh, studies professors who is a former missionary, and I will be telling you stories from the field. <laughs> All right, uh, so far away from the nearest uh, road in the savannah, I was interviewing people in an area that was like, very, very uh, little, how should you say, Christianized, evangelized, uh, but whatever, only a small fraction of people formerly belonged to any church, and even a much smaller number went to church every Sunday. So it was like Sweden, but, uh, but a bit different. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So then there was one uh, like young uh, Pentecostal man who, who was, I am lo- no longer Sonjo, I am Christian. So this means basically, I'm no longer Swedish, I'm Christian. Like the point was, Sonjo was like the ethnic belonging. And I was like, hey, how can he say like that? That is completely wrong. Because I had been like dealing with all, all this like contextualization, inculturation, and all that stuff. But the more I had been thinking, his uh, like his, uh, this saying of, of his, I had been like f- forced to agree that well, he has a point. Well, usually it is so that when when I hear something in my field work that 
really shocks me. It proves that, well, actually, that person is correct, and I need to fix my thinking. Well, so basically, for him, it was like, it's a choice between being what you originally were, culturally, and becoming a Christian. But that's how actually Christianity has been marketed in Africa. Because there was this overriding concern about the purity of the African con uh, convert's faith. The, uh, the missionaries were worried about blacks, uh, backsliding, going back to the old traditions, or apostasy. And here I tell another story. One evening, a Lutheran pastor, friend and colleague of ours, came to our home. He was in complete agony. He's, he starts crying. God has punished me. He has killed my child. So, no, again, the first reaction. No, no, that cannot be correct. God doesn't kill anyone's children. It's like, no, what, what do you actually mean? And it was a long discussion in which he finally admitted that he had taken his child to a traditional healer because school medicine, medicine had not helped. Then the child died. Then he interpreted, now God is angry at him because he has been backsliding. Going back to the pagan, non-Christian, uh, satanic practices. And that shows that yes, many, if, or maybe all, Tanzanian Christians live in several worlds at the same time. But it is not a happy existence most of the time. It leads to situations of agony. And another story about uh, from Tanzania. Like these, there are certain times and places when you see these like competing or colliding worlds, particularly clear, clearly. And that is, for example, around every Christmas, when predominantly Christian Chaga people, they live uh, on the slopes of uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, or let's say they originate from there, but they live all around Tanzania because uh, their uh, level of education is rather high and they are, they're in business, they are in uh, government administration and whatever. But every year, the Chaga are traditionally expecting to travel back to their home villages to Kula uh, Christmas, meaning to eat Christmas. And that means, of course, that you eat nice, uh, a nice goat, like uh, slaughter a goat and eat it with, with your family, and then you go to the church. But basically, you could go to the church elsewhere as well. Another reason to getting there is that you go to the graves of your ancestors. 
and then you pour traditional beer, so you bring offerings and prayers to your ancestors. But of course, in, in this, Christian pastors and priests are not supposed to be present. And that means that, again, these pastors and priests are often a bit in agony. I'm cut out from the community because of my function as a Christian leader. And I am supposed to preach against this, what I would be supposed to do, and what I would actually want to do, at least in some cases. So again, it is not happy coexistence, but it is definitely a dual religious practice. Like two parallel lines which do not meet. And then a third example, this time from the Congo. Steve was already uh, referring to Kimbanguism. Uh, that is a Congolese-based uh, uh, church of maybe uh, more or less 30 million members globally. So it's not a small player. Uh, and that church was the first African instituted church to be uh, included or taken as a member in the World Council of Churches in uh, 1969. It was the first church ever that has been kicked out from the World Council of Churches. Why? It is because it is increasingly obvious that the Kimbanguist church openly teaches that uh, Jesus of Nazareth was not the only incarnation, uh, divine incarnation, but there were also others, or there are actually others, like Simon Kimbangu, <coughs> uh, on whose ministry this whole church is based. He was the incarnation of the Holy Spirit, the promised consoler, and his three sons were the incarnations of the three persons of the Trinity. And the present church leader, Simon Kimbangu Kiangani, is the reincarnation of Simon Kimbangu, which means that he is also incarnation of the Holy Spirit. So, in this room, I'm probably the only person who has shaken hands with, uh, with God. Uh, so, at least Christian God, I mean. So, uh, so uh, the thing, thing is that, like, this was too much. But at the same time, then... Like when studying uh, Congolese uh, worldview a little bit more, it becomes clear that the concept of Persian is absolutely not the same as in uh, Hellenic uh, philosophy. It's not, not even close to it. So basically, then if you say Persian and then uh, compare it to the Congolese way or, or a Congo way of seeing the constitution of what is human. They are not comparable. Again, like, uh, like when, when you look in, uh, like cut these like, kind of do Western doctrine into pieces and then try to find <clears throat> what is like, comparable in the Congo worldview, you see that actually you cannot compare these. And this means that when, when you're try, trying to compare things that are not comparable, then you get into trouble. And 
I don't, I don't say that the churches should accept, okay, it, well, it, sh it's, it shouldn't be that like, um, uh, that strict about the number of incarnations. Yeah, you could have a couple more. Yeah, fine, I can understand that it, it is over the line for many churches. But still the process in which one takes the Western me measuring stick and says, no, this doesn't fit. I think it is rather problematic. It is uh, colonial and ethnocentric. So uh, then this, what, what counts as superstitious and uh, pagan and whatever elements that have been uh, imported into Christianity, they, it might be, in many cases, that actually they are a completely different way of understanding the Christian message. But because, like, if we lack the cultural abilities to interpret what it actually means, we are judging things that we don't understand. And I find that problematic. Well, then, what kind of solutions have Western uh, missionaries and uh, uh, church bodies and so forth found to solve these uh, problems of uh, lack of purity? of African Christianity. Well, one is first punishments. Excommunication. You kick out the Kimbangu's church from the World Council of Churches. You, uh, you uh, like cut out a, a lapsed or backsliding member from uh, the uh, Eucharist. And of course, um, in the olden times, like especially German missionaries very, uh, were very good at using the good old flogging of, uh, uh, of Christians and not being in fault. So uh, even physical punishment, punishment has been used for that. In Congo, the first um, Christian-based or Christian background prophetess, Kim Pavita, was burnt at stake. So, um, I mean... Uh, there have been uh, ways of dealing with uh, these issues. Another solution has been that, okay, let's isolate these true Christians from this uh, African culture that is, cor that is corrupting them. So let's form Christian villages where you have some kind of a Stasi type of uh, system where these Christians are monitoring each other uh, and so you keep everyone on the narrow path. But basically, what it was that missionaries were aiming at creating converts into their own images. Basically, it was about alienating Africans from themselves. And what can be counted as a major success in Western mission, is that uh, like African so-called historical churches or Western mission-based churches continue with this uh, project, and uh, therefore the agony. But at the same time, one has to say this is an uphill struggle, and alienating people from what they are 
is not an easy task. Yeah. It seems like the slides don't change here. They don't. Oh, uh, in the zoom. In the zoom. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Oh, what, what could I do about that? Let's see. I stop sharing and I, uh, I get, I try sharing again. Let's see if the slides start changing. Okay, so now we come to the Tanzanian Christians' three life worlds. At least you will be able to see this one. So, according to um, cultural anthropologist Baby Hasso, Tanzanian Christians live simultaneously in three worlds. And now these three, world, uh, three words in Kiswahili are such that you hear them every day in Tanzania. The first uh, would be Kenyeji, the traditional life world, which, which refers to like a uh, pre-Christian, pre-colonial, but actually very often reinvented African tradition. And whether it's good or bad, it depends. Kukua uh, Kenyeji, this kind of tra traditional chicken, is better than this Kukua Kisasa, the modern chicken, because it tastes be better and the eggs are better and uh, there are not so, as many, but they're better, and so forth. Whereas, if it's so, many other things, if they're Kenyeji, they are bad. So it is not like only bad or good, it depends. Then you have Kikristo, that is Christian, meaning basically what uh, the Western missionaries were uh, like uh, bringing in, that type of Christianity. Then you have got Kisasa, the modern or postmodern, sasa means uh, now, and uh, kisasa means of now, like referring what is now. So anything that is uh, very new, modern, uh, technological, but even, for example, uh, a church could be uh, a kanisa kisasa, uh, maybe may a, a third wave Pentecostal church that is bringing things that are new in comparison to the missionary Christianity. So, and these three actually uh, overlap somewhat. So, so some things are either this or that, depending on, on the point of view and who, who's uh, uh, defining. So, but uh, these kind of similar concepts are found elsewhere too. For example, Wyatt McGuffey, another anthropologist, would be uh, referring to uh, the Bakongo, uh, like uh, the Congo people, have two realms in which uh, they live. In Papua New Guinea, uh, a Catholic missionary, whose name I don't remember, I read it 30 years ago, uh, had a similar type of classification. But the point is that a Tanzanian Christian like juggles with three life worlds which bring like three sets of values, three uh, plausibility structures and they're in constant tension or collision with each other. If I do like this, it goes against my tra like kind of ethnic and traditional background, uh, but if, if, I, uh, if I do like uh, but it will be in line with either Christianity or both Christianity and modernity and if I take something else, it is against 
uh, one or two of the others. So it is a constant negotiation between uh, what is valuable and good. So uh, my, my third point is uh, I take a, a, a take cue from a Jesuit uh, theologian uh, Aloysius Pieris's uh, point of, Christi- uh, of uh, cosmic and metacosmic religions. He comes from Sri Lanka. So, basically, for him, religions can be counted to be of two kinds. Cosmic religions contain a complete interpretation of the cosmos. And they are often indigenous religions. Metacosmic religions concentrate on their central message. And they are typically missionary religions like Christianity or Islam. And the point, his point is that metacosmic religions are never complete in themselves. They need a cosmic religion to build upon. They need a cosmology to build upon. They're like helicopters landing that need a helipad. Now, for example, here in Sweden or, uh, or in Germany or wherever, we don't realize that because that helicopter landed so long ago that it has uh, become like they have got so interwoven. But much of what we have in our Christianity uh, in the West, it is either from the cosmos of uh, the Hellenic world, from uh, Neoplatonism and so forth, or, for example, from Germanic uh, traditions. But it is of so old that we don't, we don't see that. But wherever Christianity, our Christian message, comes as a new thing, it is that either you take the whole package, or then you uh, and alienate your, uh, yourself culturally, or then you start to see how this helicopter could land on my territory. Uh, so basically... Christianity does not save anyone from one's cosmos, but usually it is that one is saved in that cosmos. Another possibility is that you first need to change uh, into, another, like, uh, into another cosmos and be saved in there. So that is what I would call an, uh, like the incarnational principle. Or basically, you could say it is contextualization or enculturation. It is that Christian message is always uh, uh, kind of uh, incarnated in its context. And now let's see what happens. I uh, I need to try, try to go. Just yeah, let's try. No, no, it doesn't go. No. Yes. Yeah. Does it change? Okay. Then. Something con- controversial. Okay, if it has been so that, okay, we have um, these issues that, uh, like, there is no pure, like, um, creating pure, pure Christianity in Africa is an uphill struggle. It doesn't work. Uh, there are three life worlds where uh, Tanzanian Christians live. Then, uh, Christianity is a metacosmic religion. Then, number four. There is actually no African traditional religion 
which could be mixed with Christianity. Early Western missionaries were thought that Africans don't have any religion, that's why you need to bring them religion. I think they were correct, at least that there was no religion, because Afri African languages don't have the word for religion. But at the same time, Jonas Mbiti, uh, a leading first-generation modern uh, uh, African theologian, pointed out that Africans are incurably religion, uh, religious. And he's correct as well. Because, yes, Africans uh, didn't have any religion, but they were very religious by Western uh, standards. So the thing is that like, the Western concept of religion was imposed on uh, Africans, but not only the Western concept of religion, but also Muslim concept of deen, which means religion, but basically Islam as the true religion. So, for example, in Kiswahili, what is religion? It is deen. So it is an imported word. So, both the missionaries and Biti are correct. So, just as in uh, Amazonia, religion cannot be separated from the rest of the culture. And I'm really wondering whether our concept of religion, modern concept of religion, is that super-functional in the West either. But that's a different story. And just like in Amazonia, there is this strong presence of the invisible world in Africa. And if you count that there is the spirit world uh, present, that there is religious, yes, Africans are very religious. Fine. So, there is no possibility of inculturate Christianity into culture that is purified from religion, because you cannot divide it. Uh, but then, of course, for any uh, Barthian suffering from anxiety from this, you can say, oh, well, you know, it's, anyways, it's no religion, because it's a Western concept, so take it easy. But that won't help him. Well, uh, then there is, of course, the possibility of rejection of certain cultural elements. You don't need to, uh, you don't need to accept everything. And actually, this is what the churches are really doing when they say they believe that we are rejecting traditional religions, they're not actually doing that because they're theologizing, their uh, religious thinking happens inside these, uh, this worldview. So basically, what they're doing, they're sorting out okay, this thing in our tradition is uh, acceptable, and this thing is actually not religious, so we, are, uh, we, we take it. But anyways, you just cannot uh, make it that way. So, the most important question is, so what? So, basically, admitting the incarnatory nature of Christian faith would liberate African churches too. More openness towards the spiritual dimensions of the cultural background. You wouldn't need to be jumpy about, oh, is, is this religious? Uh, uh, still one story from uh, the mission fields. Like, one Lutheran uh, bishop in Tanzania is 
one of the most respected traditional healers as well. But he is a herbalist. And in the church it is, it is all about the herbs. There is nothing spiritual about it. Okay, you may believe that if you want, but it goes very nicely when you're a bishop. <laughs> and then, one would be liberated to reject the wholesale condemnation of African cultures, because this is what often happens. One could resist Western cultural imperialism, and one could be simultaneously more authentically Christian and African. So now, what, what I mean here is that in an incarnate, incarnatory approach, if we glean from that uh, Hellenic tradition that I, I have been despising so strongly here, if we go to the Chalcedon formula, there is this that like uh, Christ is fully human and fully divine. So why couldn't an African Christian be fully African and fully Christian? Or if we go to uh, Thomas Aquinas, why couldn't it be so that by, by becoming Christian, an African becomes even more authentically, authentically what he is? But this is not the case, what happens today. Yeah, one could be more honest to oneself. There is incredible level of self-deceit, uh, hypocrisy, and double standards in African uh, churches. And I don't say that because I would be despising these churches and these Christians. I feel very much with them. One could also reject harmful pastoral practices, for example, excommunication in many cases. And at least take some steps towards resolving the conflict between the three life worlds to make the life, for example, for this pastor in agony a bit easier so that he could make peace with himself. Thank you.